Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another wonderful day of our Genuine Men's Chat Live today. Um, we have an amazing special guest. But before we go there, let me tell you a little bit more about what we do and who we are. Uh, we are um, part of a Genuine Men's Movement, and that movement consists of a show, a podcast, workshops, and now a weekly Zoom Live since lockdown. Uh, that expresses the often unheard honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, their thoughts, their perspectives and obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them, their families and their communities, uh, if not society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what life is like from a man's perspective. Hi, I'm Reham. I'm the host of your wonderful Genuine Men's um, chat. And um, I'm also a Genuine Men's coach. I'm, uh, uh, I have the pleasure, how could I forget? I have the pleasure of welcoming two of our Genuine Men's chat men. Um, I'd like to welcome Alan. Hey, Alan. And Nick, welcome Nick. I have also the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker today. And the topic for today uh, that Tobias Hoffmeister is gonna talk about is from addiction to abundance, which is an exciting topic. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about Tobias. Um, as especially, uh, sorry, as a spiritually awoken high achiever, Tobias serves other spiritually awoken high achievers in living a life of meaning and purpose. With values of growth and belonging, he devoted, he's devoted to fostering deep connection. He's also an author with a book that's coming out in 2021, pay attention to that, on the topic of his five dimensions of deep co uh, connections. He believes in the transform and creating environments for deep connection, which allow people to grow through positivity, belonging, and love. At Superhumans, he works on blurring the lines between business and spirituality. He nurtures a community united, uniting positive people who are curious to explore deep into the human experience and the impact they can create in the world. As the head of, trans, as the head of transformational community at uh, Procademy, I believe I pronounced that right, yeah. he supports leaders in the innovation, um, design, thinking and corporate transformational space to learn from each other, support each other through challenges and celebrate wins on their journey to amplifying their impact. Welcome Tobias. Thanks so much, Riam. So um, yeah, the, the topic that I chose is from addiction to abundance because I find it's a very, very interesting society we're living in. And it's a, it's a time where I think it's never been easier. To, to be addicted to all sorts of different things. And so my journey has really taken me from addiction into a life of abundance. And I'm, I wanna make a bold claim. I feel addictions are a tremendous gift. They are really, when we heal them, they are becoming our doorway into a life of really deep purpose. So really what addictions are, they're, they're symptoms of not being honest. And that's why I think it's actually really beautiful, Reham, that you started the uh, genuine, genuine Men's Chat because 
it is so important for all of us to be more honest because once we're more honest we live more healthy lives we live more in alignment and by being honest we effectively free up so much energy that we can use to create beautiful things rather than creating all these different lies to create more and more stories that are sort of in cohesion with something that's not even really us and so i feel addictions are really it's just an escapism it's a way of getting away from all sorts of different pains and interestingly i mean we we all have had childhoods and i mean childhoods they they, they can be great but they they also, they, they mess you up in one way or the other, because despite your parents having, having best intentions, I feel many parents do the best they can with what they have. But they are, in, in many ways, not perfect people either. And now that I have my own two children, I, I definitely see that despite wanting to do the best, there, there are moments when like with self-awareness is, is really such a, such a main, main key. And so... From my story, really, I think what's interesting is there's a guy from, from Canada, Dr. Gabo Mate, who writes a lot about trauma and addiction. And so what I want to share here is the, the framework that he uses where he talks about, as humans, we have really like two key needs. And one is for attachment and the other one is for authenticity. And so as a small child, if your need for authenticity threatens your need for attachment, then you'll basically not be authentic. And I feel that's really what, what happened to me. So when I, when I was born, my, my mom had to leave me in the hospital for four weeks because something, the doctors found a funny sound with my heart. And so with basically less than one month of life experience, I must have created a story of, man, you must not be lovable. It must not be important that your needs get met. And so I very quickly detached from my true authentic beings because obviously I wanted to survive. And so it felt like, okay, I need to prioritize attachment over my need for authentic connection to who I was. And then so when I look at throughout my life, I, I created repeating circumstances where the relationships I engaged in were really depicting neediness. They, they were depicting the sense of, oh, I need to be loved because I felt effectively unlovable from this very early childhood experience. And now with insight and hindsight and wisdom, I, I can see that the story that I had created as a very young child is, is in fact, it's just that, it's just a story and I can recreate it and then write it a different way. So I actually had two weeks ago a conversation with my mom to better understand because I'm currently listening to, to some work by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And somehow it came into my head that was something with, with the heart. And I was like, man, I remember there was something wrong with my heart when I was a, a really small kid. And in that moment, I reached out to my mom, 
asked her what was going on. And then reading her response, I understood, wow, actually these people wanted me to live. They did everything they could to uh, make me be here. And it was in fact very beautiful to recognize, wow, the story I was living my life by and effectively this past present reality that I lived in. It's just one version of the truth. And because I honestly, like, I, I didn't know. And so when I, when I look back at, I think the, the pain that was created in the very, very early childhood memory, then it like through my experience growing up was, was just recreated. So I grew up in a, in a family where there has been a lot of trauma throughout the generations. And so my grandpa, for example, was an orphan. Um, one of my grandmas had a husband who was blind. Um, the father of one of my grandmothers passed away really early on. And so, so my parents, they, they had their own challenges and me being the, the firstborn, I felt there was a lot of emotional work that I had to put in. So I often felt instead of just being me, I felt I needed to protect my mom. So instead of actually making my needs explicit and express them, I often felt it was my duty to serve her needs so that then in a roundabout way, she could hopefully meet mine. Which put me in a very challenging situation when I was a teenager, feeling that my family was falling apart. So I had two more siblings and then um, my dad seemed rather alcoholic at the time. So I, I felt it was more and more my responsibility to be the glue binding my mom and my dad because as a kid, I felt, wow, if this thing falls apart and I'm, I'm again threatened, which I think relates back to the very, very early childhood memory where I felt like, wow, I, I think I didn't want to be abandoned again. And so my energy went into fixing something that was never my responsibility in the first place. Mm. So um, the, um, the piece then was for me to, to see, okay, like how can I, how can I attain their approval and their appreciation, which helped me like through school. I was really good in school. So I felt like, okay, awesome. I, I, I can achieve, I can achieve and achieve and achieve. And this, this gives me the recognition that I desired. It gives me sort of a proxy for love. I was never really me. It, it was sort of like a means to an end. And so in a way, when I look back, there was addictive behavior. It was addicted to my schoolwork and the sense of external validation. And then when I went through my teenage years and realized, oh, masturbation is a really great way for stress relieving as well. I felt like, oh, that's awesome. So that <laughs> gives me an outlet to actually disconnect from the stress that I experienced. And so then over the years, it was becoming more and more a coping mechanism for me. I realized, okay, because what I noticed is that when I disconnected from my authenticity, I often felt I was effectively like, scaring my parents on the way. I remember my dad so often saying, like, Toby, you're such a philosopher. 
or this is like too difficult for me to understand when I was sharing ideas and concepts. And similarly for my mom, I felt like when I was like in a really good mood and she was in a crappy mood, I felt like I needed to lift her up. And so I felt it was so much work for me to be done that I felt I couldn't really own the light that I bring. I couldn't really own the excitement and the bliss. And so what I now see with hindsight is that this, this addiction to masturbation was a way to just get rid of all that energy. Because now understanding in a lot better ways what sexual energy really is, and it's the ultimate force for creation in the universe. Then I, I felt, okay, I, I can't have so much energy because if I am effectively having so much energy, then I'm becoming too powerful. And I am a threat to my parents, which is then, again, for me, bringing it back to this very early memory, a threat for being rejected or not really looked after. And so on. then it had become really a pattern. And so when I was then going through, so I actually had my, my, my kids when I was in my mid-20s. And so I, I married and I'm now in the process of, of getting divorced. And it's a fascinating aspect there because I felt there was this addiction to love in a way. There was this just, I wanted to be loved because I didn't feel I had the means to love myself at the time. And so yeah, there was this addiction and just another way of kind of coping with pain in a way. And then in 2017, just after Christmas, the like everything sort of like fell apart and the whole house of cards, all the lies and all the sort of facades that I had built up of this sort of like looking good towards the outside had really yeah, just come crumbling down. We just had celebrated Christmas and then the next day I find my way to a hostel and then from there I moved into like a temporary flat. And I remember on the 27th of December, so when I was in the, in the hostel, I was like, fucking hell, I really have a problem with this like porn thing. And so I went on the internet and just, it, it was honestly just a gift from the universe where I came to this blog and realized like, wow, this is actually an addiction. I never really like thought about it. And I mean, addictions come in so many different ways from like substances to work, to shopping, to, to eating, to porn, to sex, to exercise, like really anything that you effectively do that creates bad effects for you, but you can't stop. And so um, I went to my, my first meeting to, to recover from it. And it was such a beautiful moment. It was, I think the first time that I really like felt sort of like understood and I could just be who I actually was. And so then I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous for um, a few months, realizing that actually like it's not about the sex, it's about like codependence. I, I needed other people to know how I feel. I needed other people to love me. And, and then so then I realized, okay, it's actually, it's not about the porn man, you know, I, I can actually easily let go of that. Like what's really the underlying void is that I don't know who I am. I don't know like who my authentic self is. And so I went to CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous and did um, all the 12 steps there, which was amazing to work with a sponsor and just like little by little, like really uncover, wow, <laughs> like this is all my like past shit. And then actually like really work through it and feel like, wow, it feels really good to actually have owned up to it and spoken to somebody about it. And yeah, no, effectively I'm, 
I'm done. I walked through all the steps. And then, I mean, the 12th step is having had a spiritual awakening and then being of service to others, which is, I think, the, the really beautiful thing where we as humans, we, I feel, want to be of service to, to other people. And when I look really in the world of, of high achieving where people do very genuine and authentic work, for example, like Rich Roll, the vegan ultra-endurance athlete, or, um, and then those are people I, I really admire because they, they just have this like depth of insight. And so I feel, yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's such a stigma in society around having had an addiction or being addicted to something or being addicted to something. And it, 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 I think it's so often drawn to be a weakness while really it's like, okay, like, I mean, it's the best thing you can do right now with what you know about yourself. And it's, it's the thing that basically helps you cope. And so what I now see retrospectively, I'm like so incredibly grateful to have had these like addictive experiences because they have now led me to a place where I deeply understand who I am and I'm no longer hiding anything. You know, I'm, I'm like completely transparent and honest and life is so easy. And I think this is where now the beautiful abundance piece comes in. Because as long as there was this honesty that it is, and it's basically, it's not even about other people, but it's like, I know that this wasn't the truth, you know? And so instead of actually thinking that other people might judge me, it's really just like my, my own judgment. And so having gained a level of self-awareness that effectively it's just, it's all reflection and projection. And so that is really where, so then Sullivan says, you know, every, like all change starts with, with being honest. And I, I think that's really the beautiful piece that I really learned out of this whole story is just honesty and, and courage. And I think the, uh, the piece that I find now really interesting is that, so we can look at all the addictions like to outside things, to people, places, things, whatever. And then there's a whole nother level, which is addiction to body chemicals, which is really where when you think certain thoughts or body creates certain internal chemical states with like all the neurotransmitters and all these things. And so I, I find it now really fascinating to actually think about, yeah, so if I want to feel a resentment all the time, for example, then that causes my body to have a certain internal state. But if I want to feel love, then I have a different cocktail of body chemicals, chemicals effectively. And so really, I think the beautiful journey through addiction is really, on the one hand, really starting out, it's, it's the process of being a victim. I felt to be a victim of my circumstances all the time. And then suddenly it moves into taking responsibility and actually owning up to the, what is actually my role in all these things. And now really this, this step into abundance is like, man, it's, it's just a flow of life. And everything is given to me like in abundance. You know, it, it's, it's all about effectively surrender and being open and willing to receive and knowing that life is happening for me, no longer life is happening to me. Because this was when I felt there was so much pain and I needed to medicate it with the best ways I understood at the time. And now, yeah, life is, is, is just beautiful. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so excited. So if, if there's any of you who can 
relate to that. Um, take it as a blessing. It is the greatest gift that when you heal it, you'll be able to step into a life of purpose and yeah, moments of bliss and enthusiasm beyond belief. So if you have any questions, I'm, I'm happy to jump in a conversation and exploring things in more depth. Well, first, I want to commend you, honestly, Tobias, for your honesty, for your unmasking the truth. Um, that's big. And, and, and that's the cornerstone of the Genuine Men's Program, to be honest, why it's such a movement. It's about encouraging men to unmask the hidden them, the hidden you within and daring to be you, claiming you to be important enough to to be someone who can be loved, who can be seen, who can be heard and can be appreciated in the world. And then recognizing as you your light to shine and not just letting it be dimmed by other people's expectations or by past hurt or, or harm, or even our own chemical addictions, you know, yeah. each of those play a major role and like you said as well addiction comes in so many different forms and so recognizing i think the first thing that anybody could do right now um all of our listeners and our genuine men on board um the first thing that all of us including myself and all the women in the world as well can do it's not just a man thing it's a it's a human thing and it's about recognizing what am i addicted to and if addiction is a difficult word to look at and reflect upon, what am I self-medicating for? How am I self-sabotaging? How am I putting myself in a position where I am not living, my full living out my full potential? And then start to peel the layers of the onion to kind of see what's at the core. And, and it's amazing that you were able to, to get through, you know, through um you know saa and coda and the the supportive network that you were able to welcome and and look for initially and welcome and then you know participate in and commit to that's amazing because one of the cornerstones of why the genuine men's program was set up was because i've noticed again and again and again men don't ask for support they, they don't ask for help when things aren't going well. If it's not broken, why fix it? Or if it's broken, but it's not hurting anybody, there's no harm in it. So to combat that is powerful. So this is my attempt at, com at, at um, commending you for your strength of character, for your vouching to be honest and to be open and to do that with us today. Um, I'll open the floor to anybody if um, you want to ask in your, any of your questions, and then I'll follow up with any of the other questions that we have. Thanks, Ram. That was awesome. Hey. Hi, Hi. How are you doing? Uh, I, I must commend you, honestly. I mean, that, I mean what you just spoke about is, is it's very courageous and uh, admirable, to be honest, because what I tend to find in this society, and it is a society-driven uh, um, environment that we live in, where there are so many expectations that we seem to have to fall into. And so if we have things that we are troubling with, um, 
that on in its own is a as a battle. But on top of that, then you have um, what people perceive you as, and those expectations to kind of live up to as well. So honestly, I mean, that is very, very uh, the willpower that you have, and you know the strength that you've shown is it's absolutely amazing. I've not actually thought of it that way until I've actually heard you kind of um, sharing your experience and the fact that you call it a journey as well um, because um, these addictions as you say have a negative connotation and it's a bad thing you know and that's the way it's perceived and the quicker you get rid of this and deal with it through therapy or whatever means it is the better you're going to be rather than you using it as a positive thing of an experience and using that to better yourself and better your understanding because certainly through our mistakes is how we become better people and so mistakes is is something that we should not look at as a negative connotation but more something that is really useful a tool for us you know to make ourselves better in every way so um, I mean, how did you how did you find um, did you feel that pressure of people around you, you know, um, other people's expectations and stuff? Was was that a battle as well for you, you know, to kind of deal with? Absolutely, man. I mean, I think this is like where the whole thing starts. It's basically living a life for people outside of me rather than for myself, and that's what I meant with the detachment from true authenticity. Um, I mean, first it was school, then it was university, then it was girlfriends and my partner and then sort of like demands of jobs. And I mean, all these things are effectively just building all these layers of like, okay, this is like the perfect life, you know, like, but it's, it's not, I mean, at, at least not for me, you know, like when I was like going through university, I, I traveled the world and I studied in so many different places and I realized why did I do that? Because I want to feel free. I want adventure. I want fun. I want to meet awesome people. And it felt like, okay, I can actually combine that with something that people expect of me. And then, but basically the, the more I, yeah, I mean, I think that the deeper I got then into relationships, it was like, okay, now we need to call each other like boyfriend and girlfriend and then getting married and having kids. And I mean, it, it's all interesting and all like a fascinating journey. And I'm honestly very grateful that, I've been on this journey because otherwise I wouldn't be able to gain an understanding. So for example, the mother of my kids, I, I see her as the greatest teacher or one of the great teachers in my life. Um, while there has been like tremendous pain, but it's also, I mean, we're all mirrors, right? I mean, the, the, the thing is like what she reflects basically, or, or the, the way she treats me, so it's just a reflection of how I treat myself. And so I think in, in our society, it's definitely this thing where instead of people living for themselves and, and being in touch with who they are, I think we live in a really like incredibly codependent society, in a, in a society that is like full of structures and expectations. And, and people kind of like go along and to a point where it, it needs to break for them. It, it, it's basically, they need to feel the pain before they can kind of like step away. And... It's kind of this thing where I guess it it happens because there, there is like too little focus on self-care, on really ownership of one's own story. And so um, 
the the other thing is i think language plays a massive role like the, the way we frame things and the way we explain things i mean <clears throat> i think language is the really the, the ultimate tool because it is depending on how we look at something it creates positive states or negative i mean even the positive negative it's it's, it's totally it it's basically all these dichotomies and i think this is this is the problem in, in the first place where even through Western science, so I love science in school. I think it's, it's really interesting. However, the, the thing is like breaking everything down into the smallest minute thing. And then thinking that once we understand that, we can build the system back up and understand the system. It just doesn't work. It's really because it's all interconnected. And the, I mean, we, we need these human relationships and we, we need to basically be in these, I think, societal interactions in a way to learn about ourselves. And so what, what I noticed now is that <clears throat> depending on my essentially my physiological state, you know, I, I have very, very different experiences. When I'm in, in a state of love, the world is beautiful and every single interaction is amazing. And so like serendipitous things just happen. But then when I'm in, in a state of stress, and that was the thing that I realized, like when I was kind of growing up, I felt always under stress. And so I created and recreated it again. So I created relationships that felt stressful or I, I dated women that were suicidal. And so I felt like it, it's again this thing where I'm the caretaker rather than actually a partner on sort of eye to eye level. And yeah, so I feel really, I think stepping back and being clear that effectively, I think society is cool and it's amazing and it, it, it's good because, I mean, we want people around. I mean, we are beings that thrive through being with other beings. Um, but everybody, I feel, at least from, from my perspective, is take responsibility for your own shit first before actually saying, you need to change because if you're the way you are, you make me feel like that. It's like, wow, <laughs> those are your triggers. This is like your stuff, you know, this is something that you need to work on. Because basically the other thing with addictions is as well, you know, like the, the easier it is for somebody to offend you, the easier it is for this person to claim your power. And I think in, in, in many ways, I think addiction is... I mean, first of all, it's, I think a dirty word that like when you say you're addicted to something, it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. Because it, it's so often, I think, connected to people having like a really terrible life. But when you look at like really high powered people in society, addiction is just a thing you feel lonely, you know, you feel disconnected and you want to feel connected in one way or the other. And so I think that's the thing with society. We have created a society with all these structures that make it very, very easy to be disconnected. Mm. But surfacey, we are all connected. I think that's why so many of us are spending so much time on social media and things because it's, we, we, we want to connect, but we can't get enough of something that doesn't truly satisfy. Or I mean, the same with porn, you know, it's the thing. We want these like intimate connections, but like, yeah, we, we can't get enough what doesn't satisfy. And then even in relationships, the question is like, what's actually the quality of the intimacy there? And do I really feel known by the other person or does the other person really see me for who I am? Or do they effectively see 
a past version of me or do they see me in the context of how I make their life to be more conventionally accepted so um, yeah there's I think a lot of a lot of pressures and it's it's really once you take a step of getting clear I think what what you desire for yourself I think this is where really the liberation comes in and I think this is where the, the, the beautiful journey really starts does this answer your your question yeah thank you advice absolutely thanks for, for the question right. hey hi i'm going to jump in and that's all right so for nick hey how are you to be that was lovely thanks, um, good um i just wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of uh, dichotomy between chasing success and a kind of sense of frustration and then um, abundance. So, you know, I think I'm on a similar path where I w on one hand, it's quite funny, I've got a tattoo actually of these two hands, maybe I'll just show it. On one hand, right, we've got this need for like, succeeding and getting ahead and this kind of sense of urgency and then on the other hand there's like this need for constantly um having a kind of safe recognition of accomplishment and and abundance and i wanted to we've spoken a bit before about gratitude and practicing gratitude and how that can balance and how that can create a positive energy which actually helps you go forward and succeed on a much more even playing field so i just wanted to kick off a bit of discussion about that and how that's played into your your mindset i think on the gratitude front it, it's actually quite interesting like what gratitude is because we can look at gratitude in two ways we can look at the things we're grateful for in the past or we can actually look at the things we're grateful for in the future because i think gratitude is is, is the strongest emotional signature for receivership. And so one thing that I just recently started, because I started my, my gratitude journal like years ago. And so I always wrote down five things I'm grateful for and why I'm grateful for them. So I really kind of like think about it and so kind of relive the experience in a way. But now I start actually writing about things that I'm grateful for in the future. So I'm grateful for like a beautiful relationship or I'm grateful for, um, impacting hundreds of thousand people's lives and then things like this. And it's actually really interesting to put myself in that sort of future state and being already grateful for that, because that then puts me in a state where I attract that abundance effectively. And I feel what you talked about with the two hands is, is quite interesting as well. And that's why it resonates a lot with my thing where I see my core values are growth and belonging. And it's a bit like a flower or any sort of plant. You know, we, we need that sense of belonging, a sense of groundedness, a sense of where we can draw our nutrients from the soil where we get the water and all the minerals. But then, you know, we, we want to grow. I mean, I think this is why we're all here. We want to grow. And if it's not growing, it's dying. So the, the thing for me is really, yeah, I want to belong because I need it sort of like the rootedness. But ultimately, I just want to grow and expand. And I think this is the, the, the whole idea behind abundance effectively that you can look at the world in two ways it's either scarcity or it's abundance and the difference there is really 
even in personal relationships, are you engaging in relationships that are contracting or are you engaging in relationships that are expanding? Now, here's, I think, the interesting piece. The stuff that expands, it needs so much vulnerability because you're effectively continuously going into areas where you have never been. While all the stuff that contracts is really, really easy because, I mean, you've been there, you know, you, you, you can kind of like basically pull your energy down. It's sort of like black hole. While if it's about abundance, it means you're going to give more. You need to be more open. You need to really, at least from my perspective, be more in tune with the eternal flow of life. And I mean, that's basically addiction as the, the ultimate thing. If you want to be disconnected from the flow of life, get addicted to something. And it's like, it's kind of like where all the energy kind of like stops. And so for me, it was taking away little by little and making it more permeable. And yeah, ultimately, it's, we are part of a bigger, bigger system um, with nature, but also with the people around us. And I think this was the, the really beautiful part in these recovery programs where it's about service. So in the beginning, I mean, people come in and they're like really like <laughs> little messes, you know, but then kind of like over time, they find more of themselves. And so, I mean, I came in as well and I was like really like in the beginning, I was shy, but I was, like, I was so eager to speak. I felt like I had so much to express in a way. And then at some point I started sharing these meetings and doing other forms of service. And I, for a few um, months, sponsored somebody who was basically following in my paths or like um, who wasn't in, in the fellowship for so long. And it, it's just really beautiful to see actually like, wow, like whatever I experienced is actually useful to others. And I think it really gave me a lot of confidence to know that, yeah, it, this is abundance as well. You know, like it's abundance of life experience. And there's others out there who will greatly benefit from the unique experiences that each of us have. And so I feel this is really exciting right now with effectively Corona because we're moving, I think, to a much more networked society where it's not about big broadcasting, but it's about really having honest, generative conversations with other people. And so I feel we, we are actually beginning to really tap into the abundance of our human experience. Because I mean, yours is different from Reham's, from Alan's, from mine, and together we can synthesize and through our diversity, have a greater understanding amongst all of us by the end of this conversation. So I'm, this is, I think, what's exciting me. Thanks. I love that. I'm really glad that you touched on that last point about um, the opportunity for, for deeper connectivity across the world and, um, and helping others. You know, it's funny that helping other people is kind of selfish in a way because it really makes you feel really good about yourself. It's a weird... It's a weird energy and right now that energy just feels so amplified because there's a, people, there's a lot of people with very high tension and emotional levels right now and anything you can do to appease that and alleviate those concerns is, is such a weight off their mind and it also, it also um, appeases your sense of value you know, on this kind of emotional corona coaster that some people are on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting time for, for kindness and kind of sharing each other's value. And I think it's quite interesting because basically I think we're designed, you know, as you just said, we are made 
to help each other. You know, it, it makes us feel good. I mean, even though you're saying that there's something selfish in it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome, you know, it, it's great. That's why you want to give. And it makes the other person feel good as well. And I think that's why it's really important to ask for help because effectively people want to help. So when Reham mentioned the book earlier, um, I'm <clears throat> currently doing some, some more research pieces and just asking people, hey, I'm doing this book on deep connection. Um, do you want to share insights? And it's just amazing to see how many people come back and say like, yeah, happy to talk, happy to talk. Yeah, let's have a chat. And it's, it's awesome. And it's all about just like actually ask for your needs to get met. And I mean, that's something that I didn't do for most of my life. And I always tried to manipulate shit so that in a roundabout way, I could get my needs met without ever being explicit about it. And I was just like, okay, those are my needs. <laughs> Do you want to help me meet them? And if not, then I can go ask somebody else. I mean, there's 7 billion people, you know? So there's more than I could ever need. And I think this is the whole abundance thing as well. I mean, we really live in it, in a time where everything is abundant. And yeah, it's effectively about service, right? I mean, there's enough people to be helped. So <laughs> we can all like, do our share to raise global consciousness here. So may I join in? Absolutely, Alan. Uh, hi, Tobias. So um, what a topic. I think we could spend many hours talking about this and any thread that we're gonna pull, it's gonna continue like forever. Um, there's, uh, there's a bunch of things that I can relate with you. I uh, admire you for sharing your story. And uh, I think there's probably a lot of men who would wish they could admit of honestly that they uh, watch porn or they masturbate or they do other things. I do too. And uh, I totally agree that the truth will set you free. Um, and whether you, like I'm, for example, addicted or not to something, I'm, I'm not sure because I'm not an expert on addiction, but uh, I can see that when I let it out, uh, I tell someone about it, uh, it's definitely easier for everyone, including me. And for example, if my girlfriend, girlfriend is asking me, do you, do you watch porn? I say, yeah, of course I did. Yeah. And that's not, not a big deal. And then she is also feeling better and more kind of trusting because I'm not trying to hide anything, which I think if you, we trying to hide that stuff, it kind of, uh, encourages addiction but I have a question um, the question is because I'm not an expert I judge everything by my own kind of experience and how things go in life and there are different things that I do over the you know uh, course of my life that I could consider that I'm addicted to or I have been addicted to I've, I've been smoking cigarettes and I quit um, I've done other things and I think I have addictive um, tendencies but do you somehow, are you able to somehow tell at what point you, you reach the point between having tendencies, uh, liking some, something extremely well and actually being addicted, um, you know, to the point where you're just like, I, there's something to be fixed and uh, something that is, you know, negatively impacting my life. Um, and on the other hand, the positive aspect of it. So it's like, I am addicted, but I'm going to use this to do good. What do you mean, like you're addicted and use it to do good? Can you clarify that? So I have uh, addictive te uh, tendencies. So for example, uh, I noticed that it's easy for me to fall into repeating patterns. 
So I use them to, to, for example, create routines and exercises for my body to improve. Like I started with swimming pool and one of those things where uh, I read somewhere where you're supposed to reward yourself every time you do something good. So I had a, a, a sweet snack after each time I went to the swimming pool. And what happened was after a while, I became addicted to that snack, but I was not allowed to have the snack until I went to do my workout in the swimming pool. So I used my addictive tendency to do something good to my body. But then I had a snack, which is not that great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I think it, it, it's all a measure. You know, my grandpa always said, you know, the, the dose makes the poison <clears throat> and so on. To answer the question, I think it, it's, it's a very subjective one because I would frame it like as soon as it disrupts basically the person you want to be, then it, it's harmful to you. Or if you're effectively, you, you couldn't just stop and, you know, you, you would go to extreme length to get that thing or have that experience, then I think you, you might want to look at something. And I mean, even, even without it, it it's, it's, I think, really, really interesting to look at addiction and look, okay, what, what is the stuff? Because then, you know, you can find the pain and you can heal the pain. And like, once you do that, you, you feel free. And I think the, so I think addiction is, is a bit like a, like a pointer or like a sign on the road where effectively she's just like, purpose, you're going to go there. And I mean, but it's, it's the thing. There is a little bit of discomfort. You, you will first go through and then because I think ultimately what it comes down to is, is really identity transformation so what you talked about with the habits for example so you you want to have this good habit of doing swimming or effectively building your body and so James Clear has a quite interesting framework where he has these three concentric circles on the outside it's the behaviors so in that case if you want to do your swimming and you need to reward yourself to actually do your swimming and it, it's not really a behavior that's very intrinsically motivated it seems and then that could be the processes of like setting up certain routines that you make the swimming happen and then i mean ultimately it's the identity like when it comes down like how do you describe yourself do you describe yourself as a swimmer or a fit person or an athlete or do you describe yourself as somebody who is like lazy and basically sitting at home on the couch and doing like whatever TV watching or something. And then, so in order to actually do the, the good habit, you need to reward yourself. Cause I think the easier thing is then to be like, oh, whatever, I'm fucking done with this identity of being a couch potato. And I adopt a new identity of being a swimmer. And then everything else just like happens by itself. And I think this is where the, the whole like addiction thing um, comes full circle. It's, it, it's really is a sort of problem with identity and, and actually not owning, well, I, I felt for myself, I wasn't owning my genuine true identity. And the behaviors and, and stuff that the world expected of me didn't actually match who I wanted to be. And so in order to, to somehow make it fit, there was friction, there was pain and in order to medicate it and not look at it and run away from it. It was like, okay, just like do more things that actually layer on more pain. And so by the moment I was like, okay, this is actually my true identity and I built a life around that. Then I'll just pause in place effortlessly. Fair enough. I think it's, it's also like I used to smoke cigarettes um, and obviously I was considering myself a smoker. Uh, once I stopped smoking, I'm no longer 
having the identity of a smoker. Um, but I don't know which happens first, whether I was a non-smoker before I quit or after I quit, I started calling myself a non-smoker. But yeah, I get the point. It's very cool what you say with the smoking, because that's actually an example that um, James Clear makes in the book, where, you know, two people that quit smoking and you offer them a cigarette and one person says like, ah, no, I tried to quit smoking. And the other person is like, I'm no longer a smoker or I'm not a smoker. And it's, it's exciting. So yeah, basically changing the identity first is, is really the shortcut there. Yeah, thanks. Thank you guys for your amazing questions and Tobias for your thorough answers. Um, I've got a few more for you. Um, we've got Bring a it on. few minutes. I may just choose one. I think the, the one that um, I noticed the most was what advice do you have for those that are, um, for, for example, from our audience, who are teetering on asking for support, for guidance out of their um, to, to get out of their experience of addiction or self-medication or self-sabotage and how can they get past the teetering and make a decision to create action in their life positive healthy action I mean really it starts with making a decision you know it, it's, it's kind of this thing um, it, it needs to come from within because it needs you need to be ready to want to make this change. And so um, the, the question for me would be like, what's the thing that hold, that's holding you back? Like, well, what are the concerns or the worries or the, the fears that effectively make you question whether it's the right thing to ask for help? <clears throat> so it would be awesome if this person was here because then we could actually dig into this and, and make, make sense. So the, the other thing is, I mean, you can always try, you know, just the, these meetings are open and I mean, now they're online, you know, you don't even need to show your face. So effectively you can just go there, dial in and you could just listen and actually see if the thing resonates with you. And yeah, I, I mean, the, the other thing is if you have somebody in your life who you truly trust, then speak to that person. Because I think that the hardest thing is actually admitting it to someone. And then once this first step is done, then you have effectively a forcing function. And, and you have the compassion. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, another thing could be actually talking to yourself in the mirror. Because then you, you see sort of another person and you could have sort of like this <laughs> pseudo dialogue. And then so you actually don't need anybody. You know, you, you're just like basically having an honest chat with yourself. Like, where is your life right now? How satisfied are you with that? What do you see is the potential that you have? And then see if this step is, is worth the potential. So if, if you want to reach out, um, we, we can have a more one-on-one -on -one chat about this. If, so yeah, whoever asked the question, I'm, I'm happy to dig deeper if they desire. Thank you. Any other quick questions from the gentleman on board today? Nothing? While well, you have the chance. A lot of the, the questions that they've asked are mirrored in the questions that I've received. So I'm glad that they brought them up. What I'd love to do is actually um, 
covers some of the points. Um, I've, I've written down 15 takeaways from today. Um, and I'm awesome. sure there are a lot more. Um, so I'll cover those. And if you have anything else to add, don't hesitate to do so. Nice. And um, we'll go from there. Is that okay? Cool. Awesome. So uh, Tobias's top 15 takeaways is what I have today. Number one, notice the language you use with others and especially with yourself. So for example, I think the word mistakes came up. So instead of looking at them as mistakes, like you were talking about polar opposites, positives and negatives, look at it as room for opportunities or room for improvement. And this is especially important with kids. I've noticed, um, at least in my own son as well, when you approach a child about, well, you haven't gained that yet, it doesn't close the door on their possibility of growing. And then, um, and then what are the things that you could do that um, differently this time that you didn't learn before? And what are your takeaways? Builds that critical thinking muscle and that reflective muscle. And we, we've previously talked to Vice about emotional muscles, just like we have the physical muscles, we have emotional muscles that we grow. And that's one of the many emotional muscles that we can build in our children. And then or in our nieces and nephews if people don't have children which is fine um but in ourselves as well so this is a, an amazing opportunity for us to reparent ourselves if uh our parents did what they could with what they had as you said and i always say um then this is our time to to fill those empty spaces that we might feel are hollow um for whatever reason and find healthier means be it rewriting our story or identifying the pain, which takes me to the next one. Um, and the next one is identify the pain and recognize how it manifests in our lives. Because from that creates a pattern, from that creates um, sabotage within our own minds. And then there's, we could so do this for another two, more, two or three more hours actually about the psychological components about this, because that's where I you know, really love to go. But I'm gonna come back to the takeaways. Number three. Recognize your patterns, just building on the previous one. Are you a caretaker? Are you, you know, um, codependent in your perception of yourself or your needs of others? How do you handle yourself in times of, of calmness and then in times of stress, as you said? Number three, people mirror how we treat ourselves. And that's a powerful one, I think, because when we don't give ourselves the respect that we so deserve, by recognizing who we are and using that as the platform in which we come into the world, then we allow others, like you said, to take away from our energy, to take away from our, our own power. And that could be devastating. Then we take on other people's stuff and that's not healthy for us at all. Um, the more responsibility we take for ourselves and our actions, the less we take on of other people's issues and traumas. And therefore, that usually leads to a healthier mindset, healthier energy, healthier aura, and healthier being just to operate in the world. Um, the next one is our life experiences are gifts waiting to be unfolded once we're ready to accept them. So you mentioned the flower. So it's about once it's ready to, to open up um, and, and we're willing to accept that gift, will it unfold its, its beautiful scent? Um, the next one is gratitude journaling. And I love the fact that you talked about five things that you're grateful for now in the past, and then five things that you're putting out into the future, uh, into the universe, sorry, for the future. That's amazing. And to claim that, that energy and ask the world, ask the universe, ask, you know, a higher being, 
God, whatever we call it, um, what anybody calls it, is um, is is powerful, and and that way we're owning our decisions because we were talking about decisions and how do you make those decisions. So when you make a commitment to yourself, as we make commitments to ourselves, that's entering into that energy space, and then abundance comes from there, as you said. Another needs and learn how to ask for them which i think is a challenge for any um human and and hopefully we could be super genuine humans in that way to do so if you're not growing you're dying was powerful um that just says it all right there uh be comfortable with being uncomfortable uh i say that a lot in my trainings but you said it in a, in a bit of a different way and i just kind of summarized it because it's about the uncomfortableness that we feel that sometimes we seek external sources of validation or acceptance or recognition or love and when we recognize that pattern the pain may be there but then you can start to heal from there and rewrite your story as you said beautifully in the beginning um, how you describe yourself will be the way you see yourself and how you operate in the world and that again goes back to the mirroring of how people mirror back what they've seen from you and how you expect to be treated or allow others to treat you. Um, don't hesitate to look for an accountability buddy uh, in case if you need one, um, because when you are accountable to someone else, talking to the mirror is amazing. Sometimes people need yet one more level of accountability. And so when you need that accountability buddy, don't hesitate to ask for one and make sure that you can actually commit to that accountability aspect because when you commit to the accountability you elevate your ability to take on that authentic self not just as a cape that you take off but as a true part of your your being in life and then um change your on the accountability yeah go ahead ask but i think on, on the accountability i think the, the beautiful thing is like actually when you deliver on or i mean maybe I should speak for when i deliver on what i promised to myself it just builds confidence. And I think one of the, the big issues, for example, like in Coda, there's these patterns of codependency. And yeah. one of them is low self-esteem, which is effectively not believing in your own words. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's something I noticed for myself. Like, yeah, I, I, I still notice these small inklings when I'm late for things. Or it, 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 it's these moments when I notice like, wow, this is sort of my old self slipping back in and wanting to sabotage things. And then, so, yeah, these, these small behaviors suddenly become these, these trigger points of, wow, Toby, <laughs> you know, like this is yeah. again, like up level. And so I think it really, it just takes courage from basically being a victim to taking responsibility. And then it takes vulnerability to actually yeah. from taking responsibility to being in the flow of life. Absolutely. Um, you covered the last two, so I'll just go to the, the last one. The truth will set you free um, when you dare to be you. Yeah. God, you've done that one. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a program that um, was set up for the genuine men um, that I work with, uh, Dare to Be You. It's about how you can accept to um, be vulnerable and vulnerability as a strength, not just as a weakness as perceived by society. And when you dare to come from that space, so much abundance comes from for you is created for you and so thank you absolutely the vulnerability piece is really exciting because i had a 
cool conversation with Greg Shriven, who is doing a lot of work in sort of like tech and humanity. And like his thing was really like vulnerability is, is, a, is effectively a weapon. You know, once you actually open up vulnerably, the other person is like, whoa, whoa. They actually, they, they need to become vulnerable as well to kind of like match you. And then suddenly they notice like, whoa, I'm dealing with a real human, you know, and actually things that I see can hurt a lot of people. And so there is this awareness that suddenly makes the interaction so much more compassionate. And that's where empathy comes in. So to overcome ever becoming egotistical or prideful or even narcissistic in tendencies, as it often happens to fall um, into the category of men become more narcissistic than women, um, as studies have shown, it builds the empathy muscle, which then limits the possibility of being narcissistic or egotistical or, or prideful and, and shameful and guilty. And the list goes on and on. So building our emotional muscles helps protect us and build us up and nurture us from within, from the inside out. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tobias, for speaking so vulnerably and honestly, so genuinely, and being our superhuman today. Yeah. Thank you, Nick, <laughs> Alan, and Lee for joining us. Join us on our next episode of the Genuine Men's uh, Show. Next week for our Zoom Live. Share, like, and follow the Genuine Men's Chat on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Join Genuine Men's Chat Facebook groups for both men and women separately, obviously. And our motto for 2020 is many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table? See you next week.